Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. With things changing so rapidly these days, most people are concerned. They're fearful and anxious about the future. While we don't know the future, we do know who holds the future. Our sovereign God, almighty King, the ruler over all, is the only one who knows what the future holds. No other religion, no other person knows the future except our God Almighty. Because he loves us and wants us to be alert and ready and faithful, according to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, we need to be prepared for these times, and he wants us to be. So he's given us a blueprint of what's going to happen in the future. And we want to share that blueprint with you. Beginning this week, we're going to study the amazing book of Revelation, verse by verse, to understand the days in which we're living before the return of Jesus Christ. I'm Debbie Blank, excited to walk through God's plan for the ages so we can all be ready. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Bible prophecy has been described as history written in advance, written with such certainty as if it had already happened. It reminds me of a second-generation pastor who spoke of his late father. His dad preached a future end-time events decades ago with the certainty born of faith and past fulfillments. He didn't see what we can see today, but he believed God. Today, that pastor's son marvels at the things his dad couldn't imagine, things that have been and are now being fulfilled before his very eyes. As events continue to unfold, those who know the Bible are alert to recognize these things and their meaning. And now, many others who don't yet know the Bible are turning to the Bible for answers. Oh, and I have taught prophecy and the book of Revelation for dozens of years because it is so fascinating. It does talk about what we can expect in these last days. And we've taught sections of the book of Revelation on this program before, but this is the first time we've actually walked through verse by verse from chapter 1 to chapter 22. So many people want to understand what's happening from a biblical perspective, but so few pastors are preaching the book of Revelation. Fortunately, my pastor is, and I'm so blessed that he is. Why are pastors not teaching Revelation? Well, I think renowned theologian J. Vernon McGee said it very well. He said, in order to understand Revelation, you first have to understand the 65 books of the Bible that come before it. And a lot of people don't know all 66 books of the Bible. So as we look to Bible prophecies, these days we see over 40 prophecies that have either been fulfilled or are nearing fulfillment in our lifetimes, which has never happened before except at the first coming of Jesus Christ. That means the world looks exactly as God said it would in the days preceding Jesus Christ's return. That's why it's so important to understand prophecy in general, but the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation is 95% prophetic, and most of that is future prophecy, meaning it hasn't happened yet. And we know that it hasn't happened yet because so many things in Revelation cannot be proved historically. They've never happened, or at least since history's been written. These prophecies were important enough for God to list in his word, so they're important enough for us to know them and to study them. 
When you talked about your pastor teaching the book of Revelation, it's unfortunate that there aren't more pastors that are doing exactly that. I remember a commentator saying that the people who were not teaching Bible prophecy were doing it because either it was too controversial or perceived as being too difficult or maybe just too otherworldly. It didn't really relate to people today. Well, I'm thinking, boy, is it relevant to today? Right now, the things that we've seen in 2020 and 2021 so far, it is so relevant. It's unfortunate that between one-third and one-fourth of the Bible has just been kind of put on the shelf where people aren't studying that prophecy. So that's why we wanted to do this program today and this series. Well, as you say, 27% of the Bible is prophetic. That's a lot of prophecies in this word. Half of those prophecies have already been fulfilled exactly as God said they would. So we know that the future prophecies will be fulfilled exactly as God prophesied. The entire Bible, except for three books, which is Song of Solomon's Philemon and Third John, include future prophecies. We would miss out on so much of the Bible if we skipped over the prophecies. That's why God tells us to study them. Prophecy reveals Jesus to us in a way that we don't often see in other parts of the scripture. And if there's anything we need to know and understand, it's Jesus. Because from the very beginning in Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22, Jesus is mentioned, prophesied, he's characterized, he's used as examples from other stories that we have throughout all 66 books of the Bible. So it's important for us to know that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the focus is going to be on Jesus. And Jesus tells us in Scripture to study the prophecy, to know the signs of the times. And he chided the Pharisees for not understanding the signs of the times. These were momentous times that they were living through. There were signs of the Messiah to come. The Messiah was right there with them, and yet they didn't recognize him. They could tell whether a storm was coming. They knew the signs of natural things, but they didn't know the signs of the things that they were supposed to be looking for and supposed to be teaching the people to look for. And if we're looking for the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, then we'll take our eyes off the world and put them on the word and on Jesus. And that's so important in these days when the world is turning us away from God to turn to the Bible and find out about it. And also it equips us to understand deception that's creeping into the world. When we start reading Revelation 13 and forward, we're going to see the huge deceptions that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. And also consider that if we will look to this prophecy in Revelation and we will understand and believe that it is yet future, it's going to give us an evangelistic spirit. We're going to want to be walking with Jesus to be prepared for when he comes. And we're also going to want to be telling others about Jesus because Jesus is our hope in this hopeless age. If we focus on him and his prophecies, and yes, many of the prophecies are going to be full of God's wrath. They're going to be evil that's poured out on the world because of Satan. So it's going to be tough to study some of these things. But throughout Revelation, we see the hope of God when he gives people the opportunity to know him and walk with him and turn to him. It's so important to have a Bible perspective so that you have this biblical grid that you can look at current events as they're happening and see whether this fits with Bible prophecy or not. 
And there's going to be a lot of false teaching out there. There already is and there always has been. So you need to understand scripture for that foundation. We've talked before about how the uh, FBI, when they want to train their people to recognize counterfeit money, they don't look at counterfeit money. They look at the original so that people know the original so well that they will recognize a fake when it comes across their desk. Well, a lot of people say, I don't study prophecy or revelation because I can't understand it. It's too hard. Prophecy was so hard. Why did God give us so much of it? He wants us to understand his word. He wrote his word for us, for lay people. He didn't write it for scholars. He wanted everybody to be able to understand his word. He doesn't want us to be ignorant, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And when we get to Revelation 1.3 in a minute, it tells us that we should be reading this book. With that in mind, let's talk about some of the history behind the book of Revelation before we open the book. The second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned more in scripture than any other topic except salvation and the first coming of Christ. So you know that a lot of the prophecies in scripture that are yet to be fulfilled deal with Christ's second coming and all the events around it, as well as how the world's going to look at that time. Therefore, it's important to understand all that the Bible says surrounding Christ's return. That's why we're going to use a lot of cross-referencing as we go through this to explain that it's not just one book of the Bible that talks about the return of Jesus, but it's each of the books and segments that will complement everything we're going to read in Revelation. In this book, we find hope. As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to talk about all the descriptions of Jesus, the hope that we have from chapter one of Revelation considering that when we see him return in chapter 19, we're going to see him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, of which Christ, as he is God, has never been acknowledged as such, except the day he came in on Palm Sunday. So he is finally going to have what he deserves. Here's an interesting tidbit. Revelation has 404 verses, and of those, there are 800 references to the Old Testament. Not quotes necessarily, but allusions to things that we see elsewhere in the Old Testament. Why so many allusions to the Old Testament? Because most of the book of Revelation is written for the Jews called the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. So God, even though it's listed in the New Testament and it was written during the New Testament era, about 95 A.D., It is written about the time that God's going to be dealing with the Jews in the last days before he returns. There's so much in the Old Testament that's relevant to Christians as well. So when you have the Old Testament that presents the gospel, I mean, they say you can convert somebody to Christianity just using the Old Testament. So it's neat to see how rich the Old Testament is, not only in what happened in the past, but the prophecies that were fulfilled and the future prophecies. We know in the prophecies about Jesus Christ and his first coming, they were all fulfilled. And they were fulfilled literally from prophecies in the Old Testament. So we can see how that can be extended into the book of Revelation as well. People during the time that John wrote this, again, about 95 AD, they were suffering great persecution. Domitian was the Roman emperor at that time. He was ruthless. He killed his brother. He led the second Christian persecution in the Roman Empire. He reinstituted emperor cult worship. He killed his Senate opposition leaders. It was horrible. The Christians that would be receiving the letters written to the churches too were going through persecution. Life was difficult. People needed hope. When you look at the book of Revelation, you don't necessarily think of hope. You think of evil and the Antichrist and the wrath of God and lots of bad things that are going to happen. But it is full of hope. 
That's what John gives him and he, as he writes this book. That's why I'm so glad that you mentioned hope. We talked about some of the reasons that maybe pastors aren't going into the book of Revelation. Some of the reasons might also include that attitude of maybe it's something too fearful to bring up to people and they won't want to hear it. It'll scare people. But there is so much hope in that. And then there's truth, too. Jesus is telling us what is going to happen. And we're going to look at this and go, this is horrible. This is awful. Why does God allow this to happen? It's because we have a sinful world who's turned away from God. So we need to deal with the hope of Jesus Christ. We need to understand who Jesus is. We also need to have the realistic approach to what the future is going to hold. So with that, let's dig into Revelation chapter 1. It starts out telling us what this book is. It's not just the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's Jesus Christ's second coming. Now, revelation means apocalyptus in the Greek. It means the unveiling or the disclosing of Jesus Christ. Generally, in the New Testament, you will see three Greek words that are used for the second coming of Christ. In this case, you have apocalypsis, which is the unveiling. Then in 2 Timothy 6.14, you see a word called epiphania, which simply means appearing. And then the popular word for Christ's second coming, which is parousia, which you see in 2 Thessalonians 2.1, which means his presence or his coming. The point is that God uses three different Greek words here to focus on the appearing of Jesus Christ, because it's going to be so spectacular. Each one is specific as to understanding what's going to happen during this appearance. And this one, this apocalypsos, is very revealing. It's unveiling or disclosing the most important facts that we need to know in these final years before Jesus returns. And again, that unveiling is the hopeful, victorious unveiling of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's something we're really looking forward to. One of the more hopeful things about the scripture that we're about to study is that Jesus is victorious over evil. Who doesn't want to see the evil in this world be done away with? And so that's another area of hope is that we know that our Lord is just and he will do the right thing. So we can trust him and we can have that hope that someday all of the evil, all of the sin, no more death, no more tears. No matter what happens in this world, Jesus wins. And that's exciting to know. Back to chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Well, that's quite a hierarchy that he lists here. God is giving this to Jesus. And Jesus is giving it to an angel, and the angel's giving it to John, who's going to give it to the bondservants, and that includes to the churches. So there's a lot of people involved in this message. Why doesn't Jesus just write the message? Well, because God is the one who has plans as to when Jesus is going to return. He's the only one who knows when he's going to send his son. The return of Jesus Christ is very much like the Jewish wedding feast. And in the Jewish wedding feast, the agreement is made that the son is going to leave for a period of time after the betrothal has taken place. He's going to prepare a place for his bride, which matches with John 14. I'll prepare a place for you and I'll come again and receive you unto myself. And then when he has prepared that place, his father will say to him, okay, now go get your bride. Then the bridegroom will come. 
And Jesus is going to give it to an angel. And we're going to see many angels in the book of Revelation who are going to reveal a lot of what Jesus has given them. Then it's delivered to the bondservant, John. Who is John? John the apostle, not John the Baptist, but one of the 12 apostles with Jesus Christ. He was the youngest of all of the disciples. He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. At least that's how he called himself. He wrote five books in the New Testament, all of which are the last five books that were written because he lived the longest and he wrote the latest. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. As you read John's writings, they're totally different than all the other writings because he focuses on the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus. 92% of the gospel of John is different than the other three gospels. Revelation is different than anything else we see in the New Testament, though, as we said, it has a lot of allusions to the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So John is the perfect person to write about this as he focuses on that love of Jesus. And I will tell you too, that John's the only apostle that wasn't martyred. Now Nero tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil, but he didn't die. Domitian exiled him to the Isle of Patmos at at least 85 years of age. If you can imagine sleeping on rocks and trying to gather your own food at that age. But John still survived and died a natural death because God had a plan for him to write all these books referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's not a conceited thing where, hey, I was the favorite, but it was how he felt. His feelings of being loved by Jesus were so deep. That is another reason why it's so important that he's the author of this, that he gets to see this vision. He's the one that relates it to us. And as he sees the glorified Christ, it's so impressive because here was someone he knew intimately as a friend and as a teacher, and suddenly he sees him glorified in heaven. And that gives us an understanding of why so much of Revelation is about Jesus, because that was always John's focus, was who Jesus is. Now, as we go back to chapter 1, verse 1, we see not only the order of how God was giving this message of Jesus Christ, but he says something here. He says, I'm giving you this information, basically, so that these things must shortly take place. Well, you read that and think, well, that means they're going to happen real quickly. And they certainly haven't because it's been over 1900 years and it hasn't happened. That's when we need to understand the Greek words and the tenses of the words. We're going to see that a lot as we go through Revelation because it's so very important. The Greek word translated from must shortly take place is entakos. And that means it's going to take place within a specific time limit. And the shortly part of it means it's either going to come soon, which it hasn't, so we know that's not the interpretation, or when it begins, it's going to take place swiftly, speedily. And that's what we're seeing. Once this revelation of Jesus Christ is unveiled, specifically starting in chapter 4, it is going to take place very quickly. We know from Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, 22, that unless these days of the tribulation that we're going to talk about had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the elect of those days shall the days be cut short. So God is going to give them a shortened version, all seven years of it, but it could have gone on much longer. That means that when this happens, it's going to go quickly and people better be ready for it. It makes me think of just what we've seen in, in the last year and how quickly our world has changed. 
I think it convinces us that when the Bible talks about quickly and suddenly things can happen, we've experienced that. We're starting to understand what that might mean. Getting back to chapter 1, verse 2 of Revelation, it continues talking about John when it says, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So that clarifies that the John we're talking about is the witness, the one who was with Jesus, saw him face to face, participated in his actions and his activities. As a matter of fact, bore witness in the Greek means testifying. So if John was standing before court of law, he would be testifying to the things that he saw. We know from 2 Corinthians 13, 1, that anybody standing in court, anything that's happening must be confirmed by the presence of two or three witnesses. So here we have God confirming and Jesus Christ confirming, and now we have John confirming as to who Jesus is and to what he's going to do based on what it says here, even to the things that he saw. Now, going back, John bore witness to the word of God, the logos. That's another name for Jesus and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's certifying, that's what testimony means, the certification of Jesus Christ, who he is. And who is he? He's the gospel message. He's God who came to earth, became man so that he could die for our sins, rise from the dead so that we could then have eternal life with God. That's the testimony of Jesus Christ. John saw it. John heard it. John experienced. He witnessed it. Because he did, he is the faithful one to be able to write these words to us that God has chosen him to write. He is the human witness, the bondservant that's going to witness to the rest of us. He's been told to write this, and there's a blessing in verse 3 about how we receive what he's written. Oh, this verse is so important. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. There again, the time is near doesn't mean it's near when John is writing this, but it means that it is at hand. Once they start happening, the activities are at hand. They can be expected. They will be fulfilled. But here it says blessed. What does blessed mean? It means fully satisfied. You and I can be fully satisfied when we read, when we hear, and when we heed the prophecies in this book. So why are we afraid to read it? When God is so clear about the fact that it's a blessing to us. When I think about the reticence that some pastors have in teaching Revelation and some people have, sometimes I think that that verse 3 is put in there just for those of us who might have that reticence because it should clear it up. There's three blessings in there so that you're blessed if you hear it, if you heed it, if you share it. We pray that we'll be blessed as we're sharing this in this series. There are other blessings that happen in the book of Revelation. Tell us about where those are. There are seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Now, there's a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation that we're going to see. That's the number of perfection. So it's not surprising that God's going to give us seven blessings or blessings throughout this book. The first one, as we mentioned, is in Revelation 1-3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecies and heed the things which are written in them. So we're blessed just by talking about the book of Revelation and reading it. In chapter 14, verse 13, we see the next blessed. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. That's interesting. How often do we feel like we're blessed when we die? 
But that's what this is saying, because the time of tribulation that we're going to talk about in Revelation is so horrendous that the people will be glad to die. Not just will they be blessed to die, but it says here that they're going to die in the Lord and the spirit is going to give them rest from their labors. So that's what we have to look forward to when times are really horrendous in this life. Then we look at chapter 16, verse 15. I am coming like a thief, the Lord says. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. That's an interesting statement because it's right in the middle of the great day of the battle of Armageddon. It's in that discussion and God just throws this in there. We need to stay awake. We need to be alert. We need to be ready. When we do, we will be blessed. We will not experience the things that we hear about in this book because we're walking with Jesus. In Revelation chapter 19, this is at the time right before Jesus returns with us, with his church to the earth, where he will claim his crown as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It tells us in Revelation 19.9, he writes, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, we're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As a matter of fact, we're not just invited. We are the bride. When we get to heaven, we get to go through a tremendous marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus Christ. We're the bride. We're the main attraction. We're blessed if indeed we know Jesus Christ. In chapter 20, verse 6, the context here is at the end of the tribulation period. And it says, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The second resurrection, we're blessed if we partake of that because death has no power over us once we've believed in Jesus Christ and we're going to reign with him for a thousand years. What a blessing that's going to be. But we're not finished yet in chapter 22, verse 7. We're talking about eternal heaven here. It says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecies of this book. Hmm. Have we heard that before? Yes, we have. We heard that in chapter 1, verse 3, when we're told that we are blessed when we heed the prophecies. We're blessed if we heed them. Did you catch that? I can't reiterate that enough. That's the second time we saw it in this book. Because if we don't heed the prophecies in this book, we will spend eternity away from Jesus, and he doesn't want that, and we will certainly not be blessed if we don't turn to Jesus. The final of the seven blessings in the book of Revelation is in chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city, the city of the new Jerusalem, the city where God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, the city where we will spend eternity with God if we are blessed, if we have turned our lives over to Jesus, if we are fully satisfied by following Jesus Christ and surrendering our lives to him. Today, we can clearly say the time is near. The time for the prophecies to be fulfilled in this book are so close that Jesus could return at any moment for his church. He could take his church out of the way and these prophecies could start like that. Because as we said earlier, at least 40 prophecies have been fulfilled in our lifetimes. No other generation has lived through a time when they've seen prophecies fulfilled like we have except the first coming of Christ. Are we ready? Are we heeding this? 
Jesus clearly cautions us in Matthew 24 that as we see these things coming about, we need to be ready, we need to be alert, and we need to be faithful. Will you be faithful in listening each week as we walk through the book of Revelation? Because as you do, you will read and hear the words of the prophecies and you will be blessed. Will you be faithful to heed the things that God's showing us so that you are ready, so that this doesn't take you by surprise, and so that you make sure to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's our only hope for the future, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ now so that we can spend eternity with him. I pray that you will turn to Jesus today. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.